oh, is it going to hurt them? They're going to have to pay the quarterback. Is it going to hurt their ability to field a contending team? My resounding answer is no. My resounding answer, let me be even more clear with on this. This is BS. This is a tired narrative. It's a lazy narrative, not only for fans and media, but for the teams that put it out there to their sources. Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, one Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer, my son. I'm on the way to see him for his 26th birthday. That is Sam Brandt. And we are brought to you, as always, by DraftKings. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm going to get into a lot of business of football items as we hit post-Super Bowl business time in the world of the NFL. There's a lot going on. In fact, I don't talk a lot about scouting because that was not my lane, but here we are in late February. This is really the time when the draft boards are being built right as we speak. People talk about things like the combine or things like workouts or things like uh, the, the game film, all of that. But it's all being built right now, at least my experience with the Packers, from late January till the combine. This is when it happens. So this is happening throughout the NFL. People have to realize that whatever happens at the combine, whatever happens at pro day is not going to influence the draft board much at all. And that's happening right now. So your favorite player for your team in the draft, when you get to April, that's happening right now. That already happened probably in early February where the team assigned a round grade to the player. That's done. And what happens after this week when they go to the combine and the workouts and everything else is just little tweaks. It's just little tweaks, right? It's just move. maybe if a guy has a wonderful combine, you move him up a quarter of a round, a half a round at most. Maybe if a guy really screws it up, you move him down half a round, a round at most. And now we're talking about late round guys. But it's being built right now. So on the coaching and scouting side, the business of the of the draft is is almost done, right? It's almost done. Those are confirmations, right? The the workouts at the schools and of course the combine, it's a medical thing, it's a confirmation thing. You expect a guy to run fast, he's probably gonna run fast. You expect a guy to run slow, he's probably gonna run slow. You expect a guy to do what he's done in other workouts when he was a junior, sophomore, freshman, whatever. So Just know that the draft boards for most teams, all teams, I think, are being built right now. Late January, early February, mid-February, late February, before the combine. That's one thing to note. Okay, I want to get to a business of football item that is a pet peeve of mine right away. This is this notion, and I'm writing about this in Sports Illustrated this week. This notion out there, there's a narrative out there that a team can't field a, let's say, contending team or Super Bowl contending team when it has to pay a top tier, elite, high level quarterback. In other words, 
you have the situations on these rookie contracts where the teams are getting so much value out of these players, but once they have to pay them, oh man, it's going to be so hard to build a roster around them. Oh, oh man, it's so hard to real build a roster around these quarterbacks making 35, 40, 45 million. Okay. People ask me all the time. I've been on radio this week in Philadelphia. We're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts and L.A., we're going to have to pay Justin Herbert. In Baltimore, where they're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson. In Cincinnati, where they're going to have to pay Joe Burrow. I've been on all these stations, all these reporters calling. Oh, is it going to hurt them? They're going to have to pay the quarterback. Is it going to hurt their ability to field a contending team? My resounding answer is no. My resounding answer, let me be even more clear with on this. This is BS. This is a tired narrative. It's a lazy narrative, not only for fans and media, but for the teams that put it out there to their sources. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Let me explain a few things about the cap. <laughs> Number one, each team had this. Let me start here. The CBA has four-year contracts mandated for every rookie drafted player. Okay, so you get four years of contract control at a very reasonable fixed and easy rate. So let's say a team has at least, I don't know, six, seven, eight players per draft, six, seven, eight players per year on rookie contracts through the four years. Okay, so that's anywhere from 24 to 32 players on your roster on rookie contracts, not not even counting the undrafted players, the players that have flamed out and come back and they're all making minimum. Let's give them a conservatively a cap number of say a million dollars, which is high, but we'll just do it for argument's sake. So say you got 30 players on your roster at a cap number of 30 million, a third of 1 million, that's $30 million. Okay. Now you've got 23 players and your, and your practice squad to fill up in a cap of about $225 million, $195 million, right? You have $195 million to pay less than half of your roster. That's what these teams have. Okay, let's just be clear about that. Over half your roster is on rookie contracts. If you get to $30 million with that half of your roster, it's, it's a stretch. You're probably at like $25 million. So then you have like $200 million in cap room, $200 million to pay half your roster. That's not hard to do. It's never been easier to manage a cap because of what the CBA has given us. The CBA has also given us a minimum spend. So I've criticized this minimum spend because it's not harsh enough for teams. It's not good for players. It's judged over a three-year period, and it's an 89%. It's not a full 95 or 100%. But you have to spend on someone. You have a team like the Bears with $100 million of cap room. They, If it was judged annually, they would have never made the minimum this year. But it's judged over three years, and my point is they're going to have to pay Justin Fields next year. Even if he stinks, they're going to pay him because so, you have to pay someone Right? You have to pay someone, and who else better to pay than the quarterback? That's malarkey. Another reason that it's malarkey is it's not really $200 million for those 30 players. It's more than that because every team rolled over cap this year. Right, You're allowed to roll over cap from 2022, unused cap, 
into 2023. And that gives teams more money. And the rollovers were any amounts from 27 million by the Browns to 400,000 by the Rams. So that's the, the range of what was rolled over. Everyone rolled over. So a team like the Browns, which is paying a quarterback at the top level, the best quarterback contract in history, the best contract in history of Deshaun Watson, they have a cap of 250 million. So if they're paying half the roster 30 million, now they have 220 million to pay. 20 players. Do you understand how easy this is? (laughs) This is not hard cap management. Now, here's what gets teams in trouble. It's the proration. You do a big signing bonus. You spread out over future years, and it doesn't work out. Okay? Matthew Stafford, this example I've given before, got a $60 million bonus last year, $12 million a year prorated over five years. The cap number on that bonus is only $12 million. The cash number is 60 million. That's a 48 million cap over cash over cap. So that 48 million is pushed out. If somehow Stafford does not complete that contract, that money is going to be accelerated. This is what happens to teams. The Falcons played this year with 40 million charge to Matt Ryan while he's playing for the Colts. The Eagles played two years ago with a $34 million charge for Carson Wentz while he was playing for, yes, again, the Colts. And the Packers might play this year with a $40 million charge for someone named Aaron Rodgers. We'll get to that. And he's going to play for somewhere else, potentially. So this is the problem with cap management. It's not paying the quarterbacks. It's decision-making that leaves you without the player, where it's dead money. It's non-roster money. And then all these all these bonus push-outs, cap push-outs, just add to the cap on the player that has nothing to do with how much you're paying him. There were years where Drew Brees was making cash of $20 million, but this cap was like $35 million because it had all this extra stuff on his cap from previous renegotiations, from uh, cap pushouts in the past. This is how teams get in trouble. It's their cap management. It's not paying the quarterback again. And even if you do do cap push out on the quarterback, you're not going to feel it for several years. So when a team like Philly or Cincinnati or L.A. Chargers pays their quarterback this year, they're probably going to do a lot of proration. They won't feel the impact of the of the contract for years. So, again, it really comes down to what is this idea that if you have to pay your quarterback, you're not going to be able to contend. And this further, someone, people saying, well, maybe you should just live on cheaper quarterbacks. No, there's no reason you can't. Teams get in cap trouble because they're poorly managed and they've made bad decisions throughout their roster where guys with big contracts don't work out. Okay, that's a problem. That may hinder you for signing other players, but it has nothing to do with paying your quarterback. And if you have a lot of cap room, you can pay your quarterback and load cap. Try to match cash and cap as much as possible. And that's something I tried to do in Green Bay. So you wouldn't have big holes at the end of these contracts if they didn't work out. Anyway, I get a pet peeve about this. I don't understand why people say it. It is a cop out. It's a tired excuse. You don't need to say we're going to have a hard time contending if we have to pay our quarterback $40 million. It's BS. It makes no sense. 
with 225 million and more for every team because of adjusted cap with 30, 25 to 30 to 35 rookie contracts on your team. Come on. This is not hard. Okay. The other thing going on right now with NFL business is the transition. I'm sorry, the franchise tag. Today, February 21st, recording this on Tuesday evening, the 21st, is the day for the start of the two-week transit, two-week franchise tag placement period, which means it's not going to matter for two weeks because, as you know, my saying, deadlines for action. There's no deadline, so what are teams going to put a tag on? And, of course, we're going to see one, I think, very likely on Lamar Jackson. We've talked about Lamar over and over again, how he had no leverage because of this darn tag, how it's such a weapon for teams where teams can negotiate with this in the back pocket and not worry about however they negotiate. They can negotiate and stay at a dollar, you know, stay at a hundred dollars, stay at a million dollars when they should be paying $40 million. It doesn't matter. They have this weapon to keep someone on a tag. It's never been taken out of the CBA. Every time I ask the union about it, they say, well, it only affects 10, 12 players a year. That's the problem. It affects a ton more players. It's all about the top level quarterback. If there was no tag, right, and Lamar Jackson was a free agent, imagine what he'd make. And then that would be the market. And would, maybe it would be better than Deshaun Watson because he's a free agent like Deshaun Watson. had teams after him. So would Lamar Jackson. And he'd have a much better resume than Deshaun Watson. So, again, the franchise tag period starts today. It's a very unfair weapon. Will it ever get out of the CBA? Who knows? We're in, an, we're in another long-term CBA. We're not going to see any changes for years and years. And when we get to that point, there's going to be other issues on the table for the union. This will just stay in. Can you imagine the NBA with a franchise tag? Can you imagine Major League Baseball with a franchise tag? NHL. These are, this is a restriction on free agency for the top players of the whole league. So we're in this tag period. It means a free agent is not a free agent. If the team decides that, we may see it on Daniel Jones. Again, the Giants would would consider a franchise tag at 30-something million dollars when they wouldn't even put the option year on him, which would have been a lot less. So a much different look at Daniel Jones. We may even see it in Seattle on Geno Smith. 32 million for Geno Smith sounds like a lot of money, but they would only do it to avoid paying him something he wants more than that. Again, the tag, the power of the tag. Okay, get back to some more rants. This is a Brant's Rants giving you all the inside scoop on the NFL as they get their business started. First, a word from Labatt Blue Light. You know, a lot of things are better together. How about hockey? How about food? How about golf? And of course, football. And I'm going to get to football. We still have more football. But if you really want to take things to the next level, you got to drink some Labatt Blue Lights. Drink it with your friends. Live life, the power of we. It's a great light beer. It's a great thing to have with friends. It's a great thing to have with sports, with food. Every time you get together with someone, try Labatt's Blue Light. It's refreshing, low calorie. I think you'll love it. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. There is football, right? All those people that are going to suffer withdrawal from the NFL, you don't have to. Last week started the XFL. A couple of weeks start the USFL. Both are in play. Spring football is alive and in play this year. The revamped XFL, the revamped USFL, 
Do it. Will it work? Again, these leagues always come down to expectations. What is the expectations of players? If they want to make a lot of money, it's not going to happen. If leagues want to make a lot of money, it's not going to happen. Do they have a media partner? Sure. XFL has ESPN. Fox has uh, the USFL. That's a head start. That's great. Now, on a personal level, no, (laughs) I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. And then the clips on Twitter, I just scroll past. I'm just not doing it. Listen, I'm a football fan, but I really think I'm more of an NFL fan than a football fan. Would I watch a game of football that's not NFL? Yeah, I watch some college games, but that's it. That's it. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going there. I'm not going to spring football. I'm just not. And for the people, you know, again, I'm maybe at a different stage of life. Uh, Do I miss the NFL a week week later? No. (laughs) That was enough. You know, that was enough. August to February, that was enough. I need a break. You know, of course, I get busy with the business side. I'm going to be busy. I've got all these uh, radio interviews lined up and everything this week. But, yeah, no, I'm done. I'm done. I've had enough. That was enough. It's a good season. A lot went on. It was great, fun, exciting. I, I invested time every week in the NFL. I invested every Sunday in the NFL. Most Mondays, a lot of Thursdays. That was enough. I'm looking forward to not investing that time. You know, again, this is not to say there's anything wrong with being an avid football fan. Of course, it's great. It's great to be passionate about the NFL. I lived in the most passionate fan base, I think, in the, in the world with the Green Bay Packers. But it's enough. No. Life's short. You know, Do some other things. Spring football is not getting me. No, I'm not going there. Uh-uh. I stayed here on my podcast, 6.20 p.m. on Tuesday evening, February 21st. I will not watch one minute of XFL or USFL, and I've got no problem with people watching, but I'm not doing it. Just had to get that in there. TV contracts. Um, Here's something I want to talk about with TV contracts. This is a bit complicated, but let me try to break it down for you. There's news out there that really shows you how better the NFL is for their media strategy than other leagues. Now, they're not maybe better in the big markets, but they're better as a whole. Something called Diamond Sports Group is a subsidiary that's been named when Sinclair Broadcasting uh, bought up these regional sports networks. So they bought up 19 regional sports networks. Now, they've been classified under this diamond group, diamond sports holdings, and they've been branded as Bally sports. So Bally sports, regional sports networks that broadcast these games and they broadcast 16 NBA teams, 14 major league baseball teams and 12 NHL teams. I'll say it again. These RSNs, regional sports networks now broadcast 16 baseball I'm sorry, 16 NBA, 14 baseball, 12 hockey. Diamond Sports missed a bank call last week. I'm sorry, last month of $140 million. There's another one ahead, but all indications are we got a problem. Diamond Sports, owner of these 19 RSNs, 
appears headed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. That's big. This is a story not getting a lot of play. I haven't talked about it yet, but that's big. Now, why are they in such financial trouble? That's another story. I don't know, but they've missed a $140 million payment to the bank to stay solvent, to keep this going. There is reports that this is a pending action towards Chapter 11 bankruptcy. What will happen to these RSNs? Will they broadcast these games? I think they will. But the finances is another story. Who's getting paid and when and how and where is it going to happen? So again, if you're a fan of one of these Bally Sports RSNs and your team and, oh my God, is the team going to be shown on TV? Where can we see it? I think you're safe. I think you're safe. I think the the broadcast is going to be there. But long-term, you got a problem. Long-term, where is it going to go with these RSNs? What's going to happen? What is Bally Sports going to become? Is it going to just fizzle and die? And where do these games end up landing? For baseball, for basketball, for hockey. And what it really points to is the lack of centralization in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and hockey, and the NHL, compared to the NFL. <clears throat> for the people who don't know, the NFL owners decided eons ago, decades ago, 1950s, that they would pool their negotiation of television rights into one collective negotiation. So every NFL broadcast you see, aside from the preseason, is a national broadcast with ESPN, with Fox, with NBC, with CBS, with Amazon. Nothing is local. There are no RSNs in the NFL. There's no Bally Sports. It's those networks that all paid extraordinary amounts to total 110 billion over the next 11 years. Done. It's over. That's that's the broadcast deals are over for the decade. That centralization works well for the league. It doesn't work so well for LA, New York, Dallas, Chicago, but they bought in, or should I say they're grandfathered in from when their forefathers in the NFL bought into this strategy. It's a strategy of socialistic broadcast revenue, equal sharing. Green Bay gets the same amount as New York, right? Kansas City, Buffalo get the same amount as L.A. That's what's going on in the NFL. <clears throat> With baseball, hockey, and basketball, you have the national deals, but the local revenue is the key, and the local revenue is heavily skewed towards the big markets, right? The Yankees broadcast network. Yes, the Dodgers network, the Knicks, the Rangers, the Kings, that's different, right? What they're getting in baseball, what the Yankees are getting, dwarfs what Tampa's getting, dwarfs what Kansas City is getting, dwarfs what Pittsburgh is getting from their local RSNs. So this Diamond Sports pending bankruptcy, Chapter 11, really points to the issue of, wait a minute. They don't negotiate like the NFL. Should there be more centralization? And Rob Manford, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, kind of hinted at that, that there may be a loss of close to a billion dollars with all this shakeout from the RSNs and Diamond Sports. So I just think it's interesting that we have this issue now with these regional sports networks where they don't seem to have a home, where the Bally's name is not going to 
last very long because Diamond Sports from Sinclair Sports, Sinclair Media is in a mess. And somebody's got to untangle this. And while it's being untangled, again, I think you're going to see your teams in action on the RSNs, regional sports networks, but I don't know much more than that. What's going to happen after that? Okay, my final rant is about the guy I always seem to talk about. Listen, I'm going to be as happy as you. I don't have to talk about him as much. I just, this continues for the third year in a row. Aaron Rodgers, what will he do? As we sit here on this Tuesday, February 21st, he is probably in or near the end of his darkness retreat, his cone of darkness, his time that everyone seems to have fun with. It's sort of Twitter and social media catnip, this cone of darkness that he is in. Three choices in coming out of the emergence from darkness would seem to be he retires and walks away. Number two, he decides he wants to be on another team and have the Packers trade him to such team. And number three, he wants to return to the Packers. Now, for the moment, we've talked about the trades and everyone's coming up with their photoshops for the Jets or Raiders, whatever it may be. And we've talked about what if he retires and walk away from 60 million, but it may not be walking away. What if the Packers give him a going away package like we did with Brett Favre or offered to Brett Favre 15 years ago? I think the bigger question in all of this that maybe is not getting as much attention is what if he comes back and says, I want to be with the Packers. And what if they don't want him back? Do we know they want him back? There's a lot of reporting out there. Even Bob McGinn, of course, I know well from my days. He was covering us back when I was at the Packers, still writing about them. He's got sourcing saying they're done with him. He hasn't been in shape. He hasn't been tuned in. They want out. They don't want him back. What if he wants back? What are they going to do? And this is so eerily similar to 15 years ago, the deja vu, where we didn't tell Brett we didn't want him back, but it was clearly we wanted to move to Aaron. And now there's a lot of reporting. They want to move to Jordan. And I totally understand wanting to move to Jordan Love. He's been in the bullpen three years, just like Aaron was in the bullpen three years. They like what they see, just like we liked what we saw with Aaron. He's ready to go, just like Aaron was ready to go. It's time to move on. And obviously they can't say that publicly because it's Aaron Rodgers. I get it. It's Aaron's the face of the franchise. Aaron is a truly extraordinary player and has represented that organization exquisitely. You can say what you want about the COVID stuff or whatever, but yes, I think he's represented the organization well. But I do notice from the sampling out there that there's more of a public acceptance of, hey, why don't you move on, or it's time to move on, certainly than there was 15 years ago. It was 98 99%. Do not get rid of Brett. If he wants to come back, let him come back. He's Brett Favre. I don't sense that here. I don't sense it that Aaron's welcome back from the Packers. Now, we'll see. If he decides, you know, that to me is kind of the upset. What if he comes back from his darkness and says, yeah, I want to play for the Packers? Are they going to take him back? Are they going to take him back? I want to, you know, you want to get truth serum inside those offices where I sat for 10 years. Do they want him back? I'm thinking no. Nothing against them. They're ready to go to Jordan. It's time. I'm not going to tell Jordan Love, hey, by the way, we're going to keep you on the bench another year. Well, maybe we'll play your fifth year in the league. Exercise the option. I mean, come on. Not that anyone cares about Jordan Love, but that's not the way to treat someone. And the Packers aren't going to trade Jordan Love. They're not trading 
a first round pick without having to see him play? Come on. Okay. So by the time I think we get together next week, we'll have a decision from Aaron. And I think it'll be either retire or go to another team. Because I think if he says I want back in Green Bay, they're kind of like, oh, all right. (laughs) What's going to happen there? That's what I want to know. Love to hear from the Packers on that. Anyway, that'll do it, guys. If you're not getting the newsletter, please do. Andrew-Brent.com. I got nuggets all the time, giving out some good stuff every Sunday morning. My Sports Business League meets every Wednesday night. You got to join in. Andrew-Brent.com slash SBL. I give you a daily video every day. Also got cut up videos on Reels at Instagram, Andrew Brandt too. You know my Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Hope you love the podcast. Hope you think it's unique. Hope you share with a friend. Give us a rating. Really appreciate any rating. It makes a lot of difference to us. I totally appreciate that. Thanks to my producer, Jack Connell. My musical producer, Sam Brandt, whose birthday is this week. And thanks to you for listening. I know it's got a lot of podcasts in the queue. I think I try to give you a a quick and important one every week, about a half hour on the business of sports and Brent's rants. Have a great week, everyone. I'll see you next week on the business of sports with Andrew Brent. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.